Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Craft Beer and Data. I'm Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist here at Talon. I'm Mark Balknendi, Director of Technical Product Marketing here at Talon. And we have Willie Trutner of Zunai Street Brewery. Zuni. Zuni, that's right. Zuni or Zunai. <laughs> uh, it'll be a good story to talk about as we kind of go through this. Sure. Um, so yeah, hey, this is the last episode we've got for season one. We're really excited. As you probably noticed, we look less pixelated. Um, and that is largely due to the fact that we've been picked up for season two. Uh, thank you, Talon, for wanting to do this again next year. Really excited. We're going to be taking this on the road. Going to go to 12 to 14 cities next year. Uh, so look forward to those events. There'll be some in-person stuff. You can come meet us. It'd be great. Um, but yeah, so here at Zuni Street Brewery, um, which is, you know, I used to live right up the street. So you know, this is uh, a newer brewery to yeah. the area. Yep. So give us a little background. Uh, so it, it started out as the Green Garage, mm -hmm. um, or that's what it was when we bought it. And you can see we got a bunch of garage doors in here that, that worked out great for a brewery. Um, they went out of business. Uh, they spot was open. It's obviously a great neighborhood. Yep. Um, lots of young people. Lots of people want to drink craft beer. It's color. That's Colorado. Col yeah. <laughs> yep. We love the um, the indoor outdoor space. You know, keeping these garage doors intact. And it's winter time now, but in the summertime, when we have all six doors open. It's pretty. It's pretty badass in here. Um, and also just incorporates that Colorado feel, Colorado vibe. And amen. Amen. Yeah. So some of our viewers might be wondering why there's a sword on the table. Um, and so it was really interesting when we were prepping for this, your title here. Yeah, uh, it, it's a title that I gave myself, uh, which is the Brew Knight and the co-founder, but I-, I That's kind of badass too, yeah, Brew Knight. <laughs> Brew Knight. <laughs> uh, you know, that actually, funny story behind all that, that kind of came from my days in New Belgium. Uh, shout out to Bo Lytle, who is a legend there. He. Uh, he brewed, and he and I considered ourselves brew nights. Okay. And we always waited and talked about the day when we could have some squires to uh, do our brewing bidding for us. Nice. And we would eventually rise to brew lords. So here I am as a brew knight. Nice. Sounds like somewhere we have to go visit Nick. Yeah, right? That's <laughs> that's on the list for sure. So about that, right, in, in the beers that you guys offer here, give us, you know, what, what was the deciding factor to say these are the beers that we're going to do here? Uh, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the beers that I like to drink and that I want to drink. Um, yeah. Seasons has to have to do with a lot of it too, I think. But, um, but yeah, so I like to drink beers that I can enjoy, you know, more than one of. Yeah. Um, so whether that is a 7 or 8% IPA or even a, right now, on actually tomorrow, we're, I'm releasing a 9.6% Imperial Stout. Ooh. Um, you know, even though that one might only be one or two, it's it's still a pretty <laughs> easy drinking, smooth beer. So that, that's kind of what I strive for: is just beers that everyone can enjoy, beers that I enjoy, beers that um, yeah. That I don't I don't want to just throw in lemongrass and this and that and verbana and all sorts of crazy stuff just because it sounds cool and it can muddle the beer. Yeah, I noticed you had a nice mix of not just IPAs for this one and. And we should have come tomorrow because yeah, wow. the Imperial Stout sounds awesome as well. <laughs> should, be pretty, yeah. should be pretty good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so one of the things that we were you kind of mentioned even in this and we were kind of prepping during this was you know, the data points that you're kind of looking at during the brewing process. So yeah. you know, how does data affect brewing? It affects it in a lot of ways. I mean, it's 
you're limited, obviously, in, in what you can collect data-wise, depending mm -hmm. on the equipment you have and, and, and whatnot. But um, when I first got going, as I mentioned, coming from New Belgium and also worked at Bell's, they're, they're big breweries that have, um, you know, the ability to collect a lot of data. And, and frankly, a lot of my jobs when I was there was collecting data, whether it's gravities, pHs, uh, cell counts, all sorts of things. So. I try to incorporate a lot of that here because all data gives you is just more accurate readings and more accurate understanding of your beer and yeah. what the final product will be. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, having tasted a lot of these, would, you know, I'd love to say that essentially data was crafted these beers, right? Um, <laughs> No, I think it's his skills. Right, it's yeah, it's definitely the skills. <laughs> but um, he's using the data. The data helps. Make it better. Yeah. The, data, the data certainly helps. So, of the ones you have on tap today, which one is your favorite? If, you know, I, essentially all of them are your children, I understand. It's they tough are. to pick a favorite, but... Uh, well, right I, right now I'm drinking Ameripils, which is... Right now, that's my favorite. Okay. It's a good... Um, I took a German Pilsner yeast and then essentially took the dry hop character, the dry hop bill of like a pale ale or, or an mm -hmm. IPA. So brewed it entirely all the way like a like a German Pilsner would be brewed, but then just kind of dry hop the shit out of it with, uh, can I cuss on this? Yeah, you yeah. can. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're good. Absolutely. Just dry hop the shit out of it with some American hops. Um, and, then, and so that gave it a really nice uh, fruity, um, floral characteristic yeah. that I really appreciate. That goes well with that crisp, clean German stuff. Yeah, no, no, that's good. Uh, I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, you know, so essentially, if there's anything else about the brewery that you'd want to mention to our, our listeners, um, you know, it's right out here in the heart of the lower highlands of Denver. It's a great location. Yeah. Um, but if there was one last thing that you'd want our viewers to know about this brewery, what would it be? Uh, well, I'll give a shout out to our mug club because we're sitting right behind it, yeah. or in front yeah, of it. Is what is that? I was curious when we got here. Yeah, Mug Club's pretty fun, and uh, so and this is good for people who are watching because a lot of these memberships are going to renew coming in March. Um, is that we have 150 mugs back here? It's 100 bucks for the year. We sold out, and I don't know. I think two months after being open or something wow. like that. But the great deal is, is if you are in the Lower Highlands community or you want, it, if you frequent Zuni Street often, then. Um, the deal is it's a hundred bucks. You get to keep the mug after the year's up. We'll keep the mug here for you. Um, and then each time you come in and get a pour, you get a 20 ounce pour for the price of a 16 ounce pint. So essentially every every fifth beer is free, if wow. you think about it. That's awesome. So, and nice. you get to drink out of that cool mug. And we also do uh, fun promotions, mug club night and whatnot. So. Cool. Sweet. So I did have one more question. And yeah. So we got to move the sword. Nick what? always has one more I question. always have one more question. So this table has a nice little kind of nameplate on it for Devastator. The Devastator. So who, I'm guessing it was probably someone who don't, what's the story behind the Devastator? The Devastator, who I'm gonna have to make one up actually, oh, okay. because I don't know the story behind the Devastator. This was a Kickstarter campaign program that we had, so people okay. could come in and um, uh, purchase a table and, oh. and donate to our cause to get this place open. And That's someone really cool. someone came up with the Devastator, but there are some really good ones out there. One of my favorites is we used to play lacrosse with a guy here in Denver. Yeah, and he uh, named one of the tables the Cherry Creek Indians B Squad, which was the team we were all on, and, <laughs> and we were in like fifth grade. 
So uh, that's that's a that's pretty awesome. good one. But yeah, there's there's a good there's some there's some good ones out there. There's one that says Australians only because some Australian guy decided to uh, <laughs> only only Australians can say that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. Is it usually populated that table? Or? <laughs> no, that, that, I, I think we have a quest to find out who the devastator is. Right. So if you're the devastator and you're watching this episode, we'd love to hear from you. There's a tweet. Or it's probably a good story. Message. Um, Willie, man, hey, thanks so much for your time. Cheers. Uh, and yes, again, thank you. This is Zuni Street Brewery here in the Lower Highlands of Denver. Thank you very much. And we're back here at Zuni Street Brewery. My name is Nick Piet. I'm Mark Balknetti. And today's episode is going to be about net neutrality. Now, I'll preface this by neither one of us are exactly experts in this. We've done as much research as we possibly can, had a lot of conversations. This is something that's very relevant to the, the current moment right now. And so with that, um, we're going to try to lay the facts out, right? And as much as we can and try to keep it unbiased as possible, I know that it's very difficult and sometimes... I'm very biased about everything though, Nick. I so. know. I know, Mark. But before we get started... Yes. The Our usual of the order day. of the day. The, the big day of beer chug. Yes, the big day of uh, chug. You know, the last time and last two times, I don't think we, uh, you know, we chugged to anybody. Is there anybody we no, want to... No, so the last one, which we had at Twisted Pine, we talked about AWS because it was right before we oh. reinvent. Um, so who would you like to toast today? I don't know. Have we done Snowflake yet? Uh, I think we did it earlier for so, but there's uh, nothing wrong with doing it again. All right, let's do Snowflake yeah. again. I, I've been doing a lot of work on Snowflake, which yeah. is a, a, uh, a NoSQL database in the cloud. And I've been working on a, uh, a new reporting system yes. for talent um, in Snowflake, and it's pretty awesome. I mean, I, now that I've worked with it, I want to toast them again. <laughs> <laughs> now they're wrong with toast. It's a great again. platform, so. Sure. All right, yeah. All right. <sighs> let's do this. So out of the way. Here's a snowflake. It's a snowflake. So we have a few uh, viewers from talent in the room. Any any winners? Clear winners there? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. I won again. Getting better though. So we're going to Ireland yes. at the beginning of the year uh, for a big talent meeting and. Uh, I hear you're going to be up for some training from one of the Irish guys there, my old boss, Kieran. Yep. Who uh, did a cameo a couple videos ago. So yeah, you know. Hopefully, the two of you can uh, work some of your kinks out and maybe beat me. Maybe you know. Use <laughs> all the help I can get. All right. So, anyways, so back to uh, net neutrality. <laughs> right. The seriousness of the episode. So. I, I don't think anyone doesn't know that net neutrality has recently been repealed. Right. The FCC basically in a party line. A vote voted three to two to basically kill it. Now, a lot of people maybe not necessarily have a lot of the details on like what neutrality really covered, why it was in place. A lot of questions around was it even needed. Um, so, I'd like to kick it off where I think some of the things that are most important to a majority of us in the tech space, which is, you know, essentially, what net neutrality did was create what they called bright line rules. And it was essentially three main pillars. I cannot block, I cannot throttle, and I cannot pay, provide paid prioritization. That was really meant to ensure that anyone that was on the internet, whether it was a YouTube or grandmascookiesrecipe.com, if I were trying to search both of them, I would be able to get them within the same relative amount of There's time. There's also a kind of a fourth provision right. kind of underlying, and that was the, um, 
the right to privacy of, of your browser data, which we'll talk about later. Yes. But, I mean, the three things you just highlighted are definitely the three bright lines, uh, rules, as you, as you refer to them as. So, Right. And so, you know, a lot of people ask at the very beginning, like, why were these needed even to begin with? You know, the internet wasn't broken back in 2014 or 15 when you started to come out. But if we remember kind of where it was back then, uh, two interesting cases. You know, first and foremost, you know, back in 2007, uh, Comcast and one a couple of the other ISP providers were uh, kind of identified as doing what they call "quote unquote" data discrimination. Now, in this particular case, they were you know basically restricting and throttling peer-to-peer uh, -peer network or well peer-to-peer download tools like BitTorrent, which, you know, uh, there, there's something good and bad about, uh, I'm sorry, BitTorrent, BitTorrent, I don't know why, BitTorrent. Um, so <laughs> there's, there's you positive. You haven't drank that much yet, I you know, can't oh, believe man. it on that. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's positive negatives of blocking something like that, but what it really opened us up to was the fact that, you know, if you think about it, when I'm creating a connection to you, right, I'm, and I'm sending information over the internet, what this really shows is that the internet providers have the ability to look in and introspect that packet and identify where it was going, what type of application it's going to connect to. Right. So the ability for them to completely block that, it really, I think, opened up a Pandora's box that people started to get worried about. The second thing, which happened in about 2014, was that whole big Netflix issue, right? Where they were identifying that there was some slowness in Netflix usage. And then all of a sudden there was a deal that was struck. Some of that was physical hardware, right? The lines and more direct connects. But you know, essentially all of a sudden overnight, your ability to connect to Netflix became 65% faster. So there was some kind of level of throttling, paid prioritization that was going on. And really to ensure that the internet stayed as a free market device, we needed to find a common ground. Well, the government stepped in to help regulate it. Right. Which some people would argue that uh, government regulation is good and good or bad. Right. You know, if you think about how it, how it impacted, say, the airline industry or, you know, healthcare, for example, that's that's going really good. You know, so uh, so you know, you got you think about how you know having government involved in regulating the internet. And what are you know? What are some of the plus and minuses of that, right? Yeah. And you know, and the the government is so slow moving process, which which you know some people would argue is by design, right? Because you want things to move slowly with the government rather than so rapidly. But the internet is changing every day, you know. So you know, it was only a couple of years ago that net neutrality went in place, and yeah. you know, how what are some of the things that you know you feel net neutrality positive things about net neutrality since it went in? I mean, I think you know, ultimately the fact that there was no way for anyone to block or throttle, right? I mean, right. It's, it's basically kind of like the Fair freedom game. of information. Yeah. Right? Everybody has the same speed, basically. Yeah, everyone has the same speed. And what I find really interesting about this is, is essentially the, the throttling and paid prioritization. Because when we were talking about this prior to this episode, <laughs> it's like, oh, those seem like one and the same. And, and I think. The reason why we bring this up is because from an actual infrastructure perspective, when I'm trying to, you know, if I'm a router and I've got information coming from, let's say we're both computers and I've got it coming from both of us, generally a router is a first in, first out queue. So whatever gets there, I'll So you're the it. router? Yeah, I could be a router and a computer. Maybe I'm both. Am but I the I, load balancer then? Yeah, you can be the load balancer. <laughs> um, the role playing here is fantastic. Um, <laughs> no, but in the sense is that once once that information has hit the router, I need to figure out how I'm going to process that. And, and 
the act of prioritizing data means that you're throttling other data. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's two main protocols, TCP and UDP, that are used for network traffic. Already built into the routers themselves is some level of prioritization. UDP Absolutely. protocol takes priority over TCP protocol at the detriment of everything in the TCP pipe. Right? Yeah, if you say so. There's a limited number of bandwidth after that, because you have a total rate limit, things like that. So when I hear some of these things, like, hey, not only are we not gonna allow you to throttle, but you can't do paid prioritization, I think that they're talking about the same thing, but for different reasons, right? I mean, you can certainly throttle without having paid prioritization, but you also can't pay for prioritization, which creates throttling. And you know, I think one of the things that's most interesting is seeing now that the FCC has kind of revoked this, the fact that now you know we're looking at Congress as a way of trying to distribute this. And so you have both a Republican and a Democratic bill that's coming to play within the next couple of weeks. Um, and one of those, the Republican bill, kind of really focuses on preventing throttling and blocking, but it enables paid prioritization, which then means the act of doing that creates throttling. Yeah, which is odd that they left that out. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what we were talking about before this, because I thought they're one and the same, and that's where we started yeah. talking, like, no, they're different, and the Republican bill is actually leaving that part out. So, so that is crazy how, how they're doing that. So, but outside of the, excuse me, outside of the blocking, throttling, and paid prioritization, you mentioned that kind of that right to privacy. And one yeah. of the things that's kind of happened with this is now that the net neutrality so, ruling is gone. So part, so part of the net neutrality yeah. rule was um, the your ISPs had to uh, allow you to opt in or opt out of sharing your browse, browsing data. Right. Uh, so you have the ability to say no, right. don't share my browsing data with anybody. But now that net neutrality is gone, um, it's fair game. They can they can sell all of your history. They can do whatever they want with that. And believe me, uh, those ISPs they'll take the money from whoever who's willing to pay it. Whatever advertiser or marketing to company is going to buy that data because there's a lot of things you can infer from our browsing history. Yeah. Uh, and there's some things that I don't want them to defer from my browsing history personally. Yeah, no, but. It's, a, it's a good piece to highlight here, which is that you can't just go clear your, your Google Chrome internet history and be okay. That's yeah, too late. I know, it's too late. They it's it. not, they're not looking at your browser history. They're looking at what's actually going through your router and your modems and what's running through your house. And even, you know, no matter what you do, yeah. well, there are things you can do, but no matter what the average person is going to do, you can't hide that. And, and they're going to sell that to anybody. So. Yeah, it's, it comes back to... So cheers, drink to that. The, the virtue of using that data. Our previous episode where we talked about it, this is going to be an influx of information. Now, some of that might be very benefit uh, beneficial to companies. Others might use it to a negative. Like all of a sudden, we might get a lot more ads in our emails or <laughs> phone calls or things like that. But hopefully, not mails. Mail though. Right. No mail. <laughs> um, but I, I think one of the things that's, that's interesting now about this is because net neutrality has been repealed, that type of consumer protection now goes to the FTC. Right. So you know, FCC. No, no. FTC? F yeah, so FCC right. was the okay. broadcast. FTC is the uh, Federal Trade Commission. Right. And so now... I just made sure you didn't miss, misstate, man. <laughs> no, yeah, I checked on it because it's, you know, it's an alphabet soup over here. However, the Republican bill mm -hmm. that was just put in, um, I'm not a big, uh, you know, 
not big on, on government and politics, so, but the Republican bill, reading up on this, they did include that back in. Yeah. They do include back in, in their bill that the ISPs have to uh, continue that privacy opt-in, opt-out. Which is good, because so, I mean, we're seeing it all over the board that consumers want privacy and the right to be forgotten. I don't want my data sold, which, I mean, this is crappier data, and I know we're touching on, you know, more of a political kind of thing, but it's very much about your data and your access to data, uh, you know, so. Yeah, no, I mean, it, and it speaks to a really interesting thing, because I was just reading today whether or not this really is relation, or has any relation to the FCC ruling, but most of the ISPs are increasing their, their costs next year. Now, one could argue that might just be the yearly renewal or things like that. It's coincident that it's at the same time. But one of the things that that's really interesting about this, and for better or for worse, is figuring out almost this kind of pay-to-play model, right? I mean, a counterpoint to net neutrality was essentially, hey, a startup has to pay the same amount of money to the internet, or to these ISP providers, as, as, as Netflix does. Which, yes and no. I mean, obviously, one of the big challenges is the physical lines. Right, right, that are there, and I think that that's who owns a, those. Right. Well, and and it's really interesting because a lot of people are coming from different points from this conversation. You have us, which are very much more focused on kind of like end consumers. I have friends that work in the telecom industry well, that are more interested in it from the kind of the physicality of it. Like I, the was, lines. I was also thinking about the prior when you talk about prioritization and mm -hmm. and you know who gets the rights the fastest, like how, you know. And of course, these are companies with billions and billions of dollars. But how, you know, how does you know Amazon and Google and the 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 big um, platform as a service providers? How are they playing into this? Do you know are they are they now gunning to get more priority over one over the other so that so that data transfer to their or their, you know because ultimately they're only as good as you know getting data from on-prem applications into their platforms. So. You know, are they already are they already gunning for that prioritization of the big pipes, right? Yeah. So how does that? You know, I'm, I'm I'd love to hear how that's playing out in the in the background somewhere, but of course we'll never hear about that probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you bring up a really interesting thing, which is, you know, I, I would say a lot of organizations now see the benefit of pushing data into the cloud. It'll be interesting to see how this impacts that, and why I mention that is because essentially. I mean, the internet is unique in the sense that it's kind of a two-lane road, where I'm not only am I paying to have access to it, but Amazon, Microsoft, Google are paying act to have access to that as well. Absolutely. Um, so that data gets charged almost twice, right? To go, to be sent up, and to be pulled down. Um, and you know, one of the things that we have seen, a lot of these cloud companies are willing to kind of absorb some of these costs to make it an investment. Absolutely, um, it's a huge investment for them, but, it's a backbone. Yeah, uh, but I could possibly see, and I hope that this isn't the case, where, hey, you know, I, I, you know, I see your company wants to push data to AWS. Well, you need to have the AWS package to do that. Okay. All right. But what about the companies that have like all three, Microsoft, Google, and AWS? You know, or, you know, we we recently in our last release we talked about a multi-cloud, mm -hmm. and we have a lot of customers that really do, are multi-cloud. You know, one department's using Amazon, one department's using Google, another department's using Microsoft. You know, and and on and on and on. 
you know, so it's like, do those, do you, you know, as an enterprise, do I have to go out and buy all packages now because I have five different departments using all the major, you know, oh, it's a triple platform play. as a service. It's your triple play service. We'll catch you at like eight dollars. Uh, it's like my phone, internet, and TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Great. Thanks. Thanks, man. Well, 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 <laughs> that's like, that's working out great for me. I'll tell you that right well, now. Well, my checkbook. I, I would say though that what'll be interesting is that as this kind of evolves, what happens from the physical side of things? So. You know, do I now need, not only are we talking about a Google package, maybe I have a, a common ISP provider that's providing this for me, but what if all of a sudden now I need to have Google Fiber, Amazon Fiber, and Microsoft Fiber? Right? I, the physical lines that are kind of bundled together as part of this internet package, we tend to forget that like, hey. Are you going to have them all run to your house? Yeah, maybe, well, or your company. Maybe all of a sudden I'm going to have, you know, that's this is my Google funny. line, this is my Amazon line, this is my Microsoft That's line. not nearly as funny. I know. To your house would be great. Though. Yes. Well, you know, I need all the internets <laughs> as possible. Um, no, it's, look, yeah. For or against, this is a really interesting topic of conversation. Because Very controversial. It, yeah. At the core of it, it really just is trying to define what the internet's supposed to be. It really um, is. And who, you know, and how does everybody have access to to the internet and the speed of the internet? And how it impacts, you know, not only consumers and consumers, but also businesses that are, are dependent on the internet. So, you know, you talk about Netflix, that's huge. Like not, not every business is Netflix or, right. you know, Hulu or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of small, t you know, companies that live and die by the internet and they yeah. have to have it. So, you know, are they going to get pushed to the bottom of the stack of the prioritization because all the big guys are consuming those big fibers, like, you right. know, well, lines that you're talking about. And it's, a, it's a finite resource. Those pipes are only so big. Right, as Al Gore would say, the internet is a series of tubes. Um, <laughs> I was really hoping we'd get through this one without talking about Al Gore. No, but but I almost spit the beer out there. Thanks, I know, Nick. That's right. I, I planned that perfectly. Um, no, I mean, I think I, I really was hoping we'd get it's through without talking about Al Gore. Series of tubes. Uh, no, but I mean, it, there's there's only so much bandwidth. Which, I, and and one of the things that has come up as a counterpoint. It's like all those taps back there. You can only get so much beer out at once. Yeah. Um, and there's never enough for you. Indeed. Never enough for me. Um, but, well, a counterpoint to this, and, and one that has been a concern for many individuals, is the spending, the investment that has been happening from an infrastructure perspective of the internet in the United States. Um, the U.S. telecom survey that they like they did, there has been a downtick in the amount of, of money that's been invested in this. Right? It was like 74 billion in 2014. It's kind of slightly gone down a little bit since right. that. So, you know, it, it is kind of got to find this perfect realm well, of like how do we make sure it's still a strategic initiative and some people back you know to that point before we move yeah. on some some people would argue that before net neutrality there was more investment going on in yes. the internet and the infrastructure exactly uh, and net neutrality really kind of slowed that down mm -hmm. uh, you know I was I was on a podcast a couple weeks ago uh, where with you know with the Padre on TWIT podcast but TV and they are very against net, you know, taking down net neutrality. But you know, there are some, a lot of other people in the world, you know, on this issue, or in the U.S. anyway, on this issue that that are for it for a lot of reasons, yeah. as well as against it for a lot of reasons. So, it, I, you know, again, I, you know, we mentioned in the beginning we're trying to stay neutral on it. So, right, you know, it, like you said, you know, it's kind of the investment in the internet and the infrastructure around it has kind of declined, right, uh, since it started. Um, but but there's also a lot of upsides, you know. Yeah, I mean, for like I don't want my browser data sold, basically. <laughs> Browsing data sold. So much about Mark we learned today. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think 
Whether you're for or against this, I hope that this has been an episode that really at least starts a debate. I think there's a lot of people I, that are interested. I don't think we need to start the debate, Nick. I think no. the debate's alive. I, I think the debate is alive, at least for the viewers. Yeah, we, it was somewhat informative. Make right? people aware, you know, especially people that aren't up, you know, like like I was going into this episode as, as much uh, up to up to speed on what was going on in you know with the debate and net neutrality and what's going on both sides of it so yeah it's a it's an interesting technological and political problem and it impacts everybody from the individual consumers to you know the the businesses to small and large yeah. huge businesses aside so it's it's really interesting to see what happens and see if some of these bills from the democrat or republican side pass or not and, and what you know how that impacts things so yeah i think whether you're you know left right blue red green whatever i think at the end of the day what are you doing well you're not drinking <laughs> all right um at the end of the day I hope we can all agree when it comes to the internet, we want to make sure that we have an open internet where no one can be blocked, no one can be throttled, no one can pay for prioritization. Absolutely. Cheers to that. Cheers. All right. Well. Thanks for your beer. No problem. So thank you for another episode of Craft Beer and Data. We hope this has been informative. We're looking forward to season two that's kicking off in January, as Mark mentioned, at the Guinness factory in Ireland. Um, That'll be cool. Yep. Hopefully looking forward to that. Then, uh, looking forward to chug. chugging so. some Guinness in Ireland with you. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we'll have a good one.